0: Where you can actually go off and do your own thing This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier John Wright, it is welcome into the program It is a Monday, the greatest day of the entire week Trying to get back at it, doing the thing Being productive the way we do all the time here on the show Welcome in, it is a Monday, it is the Voice of Reason I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation Here in Wichita, Kansas On our flagship radio station, we are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV stations, live streaming, and podcasting wherever you may be watching or listening. Hold on. If you are watching, you're probably annoyed by my fumbling here already. My microphone stand always seems to get loose like every time I'm about ready to get on the program, and I don't know why. There's one other person that comes in the studio and uses it throughout the day, and they always, for some reason, get it all loosey-goosey, and I don't know what is going on here. Anyways, now see here's the thing. If this were a unionized company, then I would have to wait for a union member to come and like tighten back up my microphone. But yet, here we are, rocking it because we can be self-sufficient like we are as the American people. We are the Americans, not the Americans, right? <laughs> Welcome into the show. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Your millennial general doing what we do each and every day. We got a lot to get to today. Obviously, for our brand new week, we have the Love Saga. Or the lack thereof with the media and the Biden administration with Jean-Pierre, the new press secretary that is falling apart and crumbling. She stays way too much on Talking Point and does not know how to ad-lib anything in any way, shape, or form. And the media is starting to catch on. And now we're starting to see negative media of a Democrat administration. I know. I know. So we'll get to that here in just a little bit. We also need to talk about some COVID stuff, some gun bills that are in Washington, D.C., some other states trying to promote gun bills and more. But I want to focus on real quickly here with our What's Trending story of the day. What's Trending Today? With the, not necessarily a holiday, but a memorial today that we need to remember because as we go on, remember when we said never again. We would never let things like this ever, ever happen again. And it seems like now, we're starting to let things happen all over again. Obviously, with the ongoing conflict between Russia and the Ukraine, we have Russia doing some horrible things and Ukraine starting to fight for themselves and refugees fleeing the country. And uh, World War Three, according to Russia, has been announced that World War Three is ongoing. We just haven't gotten involved yet. Are we going to be one of the last holdouts again after just sending trillions of dollars over to the Ukraine? But today is a memorial that we cannot forget with major U.S. involvement in World War II, and obviously today being D-Day, June 6th of 1944, as the United States Army stormed the beaches of Normandy. We've seen lots of video of this, not like firsthand video, but we've seen pictures of it. We've seen reenactments of it with, you know, Saving Private Ryan and some of the other great movies that are out there that really reinforce how important this day was and how many individuals actually lost their lives. It's a horrible tragedy, but yet it's something that we cannot forget and we have to remember. So, Had to have him on the program today. Really excited and honored to have on the program the author of the book, The Last of the 357th Infantry, Harold Frank's World War II Story of Faith and Courage. Excited to have on the program with us here at Mr. Mark Hager. Mark, how are you, my friend?
1: Oh, I'm doing well, and and it is a day that I think, as you just mentioned, it is catching on. I've been on the air constantly since 7 a.m. this morning, Eastern Standard Time.
0: I'm glad people are interested in this topic and wanting to talk to you about this because it is, I think, that this is, as we go on, and I'm 33, I'm a millennial, I I was not involved in any way, shape, or form in any any of this stuff, nor remember a lot of it at all, obviously, because of my age, but as we go on and new generations come up, we forget about the importance of this we forget about the hardships i mean my generation which i apologize for every single day uh we there's a lot of us not all of us but there's a lot of us that are the quote-unquote snowflakes and uh because we get upset by words when there were 33 year olds going in and storming the beaches of normandy that had a drastically different life than the one that we get to enjoy today
1: yes they did and as a matter of fact you hit uh, one part that's really close to my story is that when i Met uh, Harold Frank, this World War II veteran, by sheer accident, and and out of that he decided to finally tell a story that his wife of 68 years had tried to get him to open up to, but he just refused um, until that point. But the first five chapters of the book, when people are talking about the Greatest Generation, I had to you know stop. And when I met him, I said, you know, this part is lacking. Um, when they mean the greatest generation, um, I start when Harold is six years old and trying to help his family cope with um, living in poverty in rural Davidson County, North Carolina, fighting the Great Depression. I mean, the house with no indoor plumbing or heat, um, his, you know, every night going to bed, he slept in quilts made by his mom using um, basically feed sacks. Uh, for most of the lining of the of the quilts, uh, when people talk about having it rough, um, um, this, there's no hardware stores. Um, you you had to make and implement everything that that farm needed and, and learn to make it better than it was before it was broken, so it wouldn't happen again. And there's no complaining um, no. at all. I mean this is this is hard work and it has to happen. Um, whether it was Harold or his sister Naomi, Um, they all had to work together closely. Um, and so I start off with an event that happens when he's six and then you follow in his shoes from that age to, um, this family suddenly realizing that their son, that they need so much on the farm is being drafted. Wow. And so he has to go off and, and fight and, um, he carries all of that expertise with him. um. One of the best gunners uh, carried a BAR, Browning Automatic Rifle, or for those of us in the military, that was known as the badass rifle. <laughs> 20 pounds, 30-odd-six, 2 over 200 rounds carried with it a- among everything else that you have. Um, and all he knew was that he had to get back. I mean, his family was depending on him, and um, when he looked around um, and saw quickly after landing at, at Normandy, with the 90th Infantry Division, that you know, there is no guarantee of even getting back, and you know how that weighed um, upon him. Yeah. And uh, I think the generation today um, has an awful lot to try to remember and to try to straighten up um, as they look at what this generation did. Could this generation repeats the same thing. Should something like that happen again, and it very well could.
0: Well, and it's very sad, and it is very scary because that it is very possible. I mean, the way that political trends are going today, and I'm curious, as you interviewed him, did he ever mention anything of that, of, of today's times, of how concerning it is and how relatable it is to what they fought in World War II back then and what they were going up against? I mean, obviously, the ideas didn't die, and it's starting to bleed into U.S. politics and culture today, I think.
1: Um, well, you know, when I talked him into, you know, through the Gary Sinise Foundation with Soaring Valor, when... Um, I brought the, this story that had been forgotten up to them, and, and they took them to uh, the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, and then from there, I got them to the 75th anniversary of D-Day, which I produced a documentary on, and I got to sit down with 17 other veterans, um, and I gathered that quickly just by listening to them and letting them speak to each other, and I'm kind of in a round table um, to where they're very concerned about. What would happen if if all if everything that they did and gave in the hundreds of thousands of lives lost in World War II, if the new generation of Americans are going to be able to rise up to that same occasion um, in case it happens? And, and as, as you mentioned, it very well could, and they're more than concerned. Um, sure. They are um, really, some of them, somewhat depressed.
0: Oh, I can imagine. I mean, they put their yep. lives on the line and went through one of the most horrendous uh, wars in a, in just human history for it to come to their own homeland after they fought so hard to try and preserve what we had here, which is very scary. The book is The Last of the 357th Infantry. Uh, Mark Hager on the line with us here. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and more. we got a few minutes left here, but talk about one of the stories, and specifically, if, if you can, talk about that storming of... Uh, Normandy Beach and D-Day and how impactful that was for uh, this individual when you talked to him.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, Harold was actually in the 271st Infantry Regiment of the 69th Division, and he had excelled with the BAR um, to where they tried to talk him into staying at Camp Shelby, Mississippi, to train new recruits into operating the BAR, which he uh, politely refused and (laughs) Said that's not why he was in the Army he wanted to get this war over. He had to get back home. So he was there to um, kill Germans and Japanese and get this over with and he and a n- number of others were promptly pulled out and uh, sent to Camp Shanks, New York and then found themselves in England trying to help recruit I mean help um, all of a mass of soldiers all preparing for what they didn't know at that time. They knew it was coming, the invasion of Western Europe, but the Normandy invasion. And what they did with Harold is, as a, in a replacement depot um, with other BAR individuals, including his close friend Paul Esworthy from Maryland, um, they attached them to the 90th Division, and their role, they came in on on D-Day, elements of the 357th Infantry came in on D-Day, but the main bulk came in uh, four days later, on June the 10th, and their goal was to go straight across the Cotentin Peninsula, and hold a line and block off any German attempts to get out of Cherbourg, the only deep water port. Those of you who know anything about D-Day. No, that was the central goal, and to stop any Germans from getting out, and Germans who were desperately trying to break through to reinforce Cherbourg. Mm-hmm. So they're fighting on two sides, and within two weeks they lose 115 percent of their men. Wow. Um, and Harold is going to be involved with the battles of um, Equinaville and Gorbeville and. Um, over at the Lafayre Causeway, where it began, where they helped to relieve the 82nd Airborne, kind of where Saving Private Ryan's last scene was, um, at the bridge over the Meritorate River. Sure. That um, had to be held at all costs. And uh, the 90th arrived just as it was about to fall. Wow. And from there they fought nonstop. And he, in 30 days of fighting, and then he is leading a patrol behind enemy lines trying to find two lost companies that have been, as they found out, they were overrun, um, just as the major German counteroffensive happens. And he is shot in the shoulder with an armor-piercing round. Why he didn't kill him, I don't know. And fights nine hours um, with the few survivors that were with him, drawing away German attempts to throw everybody back on the beach. And then out of ammo and uh, trying to help one injured soldier whose leg was hit, so he couldn't walk trying to get out of there, and they were captured, and they executed um, the soldiers with the fractured leg. And then Harold, as he looked at the other two with them, he said, now we're going to see what tough really is. And and then endured the beginning of 10 months of being in a Nazi POW work camp where he's working 12 hours a day, seven days a week mm. in Dresden, in which he then survives the 1,000-plane bombing of Dresden in February of 1945.
0: What a story. Wow. What a story it is. It takes, like you said, courage, faith and strength to an entirely new level, something that very few individuals actually experience nowadays. It is the last of the 357th Infantry, Harold Frank's World War II story of faith and courage. Mark Hager, the author of this book, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the program. I'd love to talk to you again about this some more.
1: Oh, anytime and, and take care and, re- and you know thank you for remembering them
0: hey absolutely thank you for coming on again you can find the book at amazon barnes and noble other places as well what a story we'll break that down when we come back here on the voice of reason stay here for a monday the voice of reason with andy usher
1: bring some reason into your day this is the voice of reason
0: with Andy Hoosier? We're back into the program 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, wherever you may be watching or listening. We appreciate you very, very much. Thanks again to Mark Hager coming on the program. Imagine, if you will, a generation like that, the greatest generation of all time, which is what we like to call them the ones that fought World War One, the ones that fought World War II. I mean, the trench warfare was absolutely brutal in World War I. We had World War II, where we had Pearl Harbor, we had the atomic bomb, we had some nasty, nasty stuff that went on and all the movies that really showcase it between Saving Private Ryan between uh, Band of Brothers. Was that a movie? I think Uh, we had the Nazi camps. We had Auschwitz. There were some really horrible, evil things. And we fought those. Again, we talk about love of country versus love of government because you can you can have the two separate. You can love your country and the symbol of what this country represents, which is why on Memorial Day last weekend, we had the greatest country on the face of the earth and we try to remember that even if we don't like what the government's actually doing but we have to preserve it because what were we fighting for then we were fighting for freedom there was massive communism and dictatorships around the world we were fighting nazism that was fascism that is a form of socialism and yes the left can lose their minds over that i don't really care i don't really care You have to remember, Nazism was socialism. Hitler ran under the National Socialist Party wanting to centralize power, wanting to get rid of firearms, wanting to educate through a government education program that was the socialist program, wanting to take the capital and the money away from the private sector and institutionalize it so the government could have the money to do what it needed to do. That was and is socialism. Andy, that's a different kind of socialism. Donald Trump, the Republicans, they're the they're the Nazis. Okay, shut up. That's a completely very ignorant statement because you can't have socialism and Nazism if you support limited government. Doesn't make any sense to me, but that's what the leftists tried to do. That is the spin tactic that they have won over the last few years with the brainwashing of the American public system and the education system. But imagine if you will, you fight this, you fight socialism. You fight communism with Mussolini down in Italy who partnered up with the Nazis and with the socialists there. We defeat them. We supported freedom. We fought against government tyranny. And you come home, and I'd say it goes back even further than that because the president at the time, FDR, what did he do post-World War II? He came out with this great new deal where he bailed out Europe. He created social programs. He created the government control that led to the creation of the fourth branch in the bureaucratic state of our federal government right now. He created the onset of socialism, the same thing that the World War II veterans literally just fought against worldwide in the World War. Imagine how you could feel in that time. Now you see what we're seeing today with Bernie Sanders saying he wants to finish the deal that FDR made all the way back when. We have the AOCs trying to promote this Green New Deal and the Socialists take over this nation. We have the Barack Obamas wanting to fundamentally transform the United States. While the old generation, the greatest generation of American history, one of many, but the great one of our time really, is starting to die off and starting to retire and starting to go to the wayside where there are very few World War II veterans left, imagine that the last thing they see on their way out the door God bless them, is seeing this nation turn into exactly what they fought against. And it started the minute they walked home and they ended World War II with victory. The minute that they came back and they see their country going down that road. As we got out of a depression by socialists not by socialist programs they say it was socialist programs but by us actually working getting our ass up and actually doing something and then they turn around they bail out europe they spend a crap ton of money they start all these socialist programs and they say oh yeah we're here to help you exactly what we fought against in that war imagine how you could feel in that situation i would be devastated i would fall into a depression i would be angry because literally what we fought against is now what we're turning into and it's ugly and it's sad we'll talk about some more that when we come back here speaking of the media finally turning on the biden administration that plus how much of the government really care about you kind of blends into the whole taking care of you thing right we'll do that when we come back here on a monday for the voice reason stay here lots to get to
1: the voice of reason with
0: andy hoosier
1: When Reason Meets Radio,
0: you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Welcome back into the program. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us today. It's a Monday, trying to kick things back into gear, trying to get you in the groove with the greatest day of the week, which is a Monday. The lights at the end of the tunnel, almost. Ha! See what I did there for the weekend? So welcome and great to have you along radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, wherever you may be watching or listening to the program. We always appreciate you very much trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag. By the way, programming note for you. Our newsletter did officially come out today. If you did not receive it, then you should sign up because that's just awesome. If you did receive it, I would love to get your feedback on it as well. Also, our blog is officially posted on the website at whosyourreason.com for the month. And the blog is also our new opinion op-ed on OpsLens' website and app as well. O-P-S-L-E-N-S dot com and on the OpsLens app, which you can download and you can read our uh, piece there. We also shared it onto our social media so you can read it that way as well. Just click on the links. But we appreciate OpsLens picking up our piece and uh, carrying it for their opinion op-ed for the day. And uh, I'm getting better, slowly but surely, getting better at doing the writing part of things as opposed to just bantering and, and wailing on the radio for X amount of time every day. So, no, we appreciate that. If you have not signed up for the newsletter, make sure to sign up at HoosierReason.com. Become a Holic because why the hell not? Right? Why not? We don't spam you a whole lot. You'll have to just wait for the next newsletter at the beginning of next month. All right, let's get into our What's Trending story of the day. What's Trending today? So as we just talked about with Mark Hager on the 77th anniversary of D-Day, can you imagine? 77? years ago when we promised this would never happen again now we're starting to see some chaos happen all over again and it's unfortunate and it's heartbreaking and we can't let it get to that point while the uh, individuals of that generation fought so hard in world war ii to try and stop the bad guys from doing what they were doing which was tyranny which was fascism which was nazism which was socialism which was communism all of those the same flavor of the same type of ice cream all of them just the different sides of the same coin however you want to Try and market that one. Yes, I did even say Nazism and fascism on the left side of the aisle. Uh, trigger warning for the Democrats. I'm very well aware. Well, they try and promote socialism and, oh, we need, you know, the, the universal basic income and we just need universal health care and we just need all this other garbage. Do you realize that's what they said as well back then? So I'm just throwing that out there. Just a little breadcrumbs just to make you go, hmm. Expand your thought process a little bit. and You can agree or disagree, but it's kind of facts, so (laughs) I don't know what you could disagree with that. But uh, while we're trying to fight this, we're trying to preserve what we can for this nation that is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And I got to say, the media has done a damn good job trying to defend the Biden administration on defending what they can, when they can, and trying to just blow off. I mean, we had Joe Biden really—the media did not call him out when he said this. It worked. We created jobs, lots of jobs. In fact,
1: our economy created over 6.5 million new jobs just last year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Then we had this when the economy's still taking a, a dump with 8.5% inflation rates. We hear this from CNBC. To
1: me, we have the strongest economy perhaps I have ever seen. Since.
0: <laughs> the strongest economy that I have ever seen. The strongest recovery after the COVID-19 pandemic. There is only so long... That you can, you know, how they, when they make commercials of food and they spray it with the water to make it like glistening and they make it shine, or they actually rub it with wax. I mean, if you've never seen the process of how they actually make food commercials, it's really fascinating. Doesn't matter whether it's like an actual, uh, uh, let's say like Olive Garden, where it's a little bit, you know, fast food ish, but like kind of a sit down restaurant, or whether it's even like a, uh, a McDonald's cheeseburger. They put the wax on there to make it shiny, they spray the glass to where it's just dripping with the water. They make it nice and tasteful. We know that it doesn't quite taste that good. We know that the Big Mac at McDonald's is not as big as what they try to advertise on the TV commercial. We know that, but it's enticing because that's the marketing of that. The media has done their damnedest to try and make the Biden administration look like the nice, shiny, waxed-up cheeseburger on TV when we know that it's a flat, stale Little tiny slab of garbage that's going to make you sick if you eat it. We know that. And the media's done their best to try and make him look like the nice, plump, juicy, shiny, waxy, delicious, appetizing um, side dish or main course for us. And guess what? We took the bite, obviously because he's president, and now we're sick. And we're dealing with the food poisoning. And we have to deal with the food poisoning for the next couple of years. You like that analogy? I think that works out pretty well. But the media has done everything they can, and it's not working. It's failed miserably. The media's goal and agenda of making the Biden administration look good, making the Trump administration look bad, making everything turn out the way they want it to. It's failing miserably, which is why Joe Biden's still seeing horrible poll ratings right now. The national polls still show Republicans up 10 to 15 points nationwide over Democrats in the elections for November, and they don't know what else to do. According to the headline in uh, Fox News right now, that the honeymoon phase is over between the Biden administration and the mainstream media. It's over. They can't do any longer they can't now what they can do is they can try to deflect and try and bring up drama within the republicans scandalous republican stories they can try and deflect and cover things but they can't talk about the biden administration at all without it being negative in some way shape or form because there's nothing more that they can do and now biden's getting you know angry and he's starting to lash out on why you're not actually covering this so there's a bit of a uh a turmoil I would say, the three-way love tear, the love triangle, and the drama. You ever watch some of those daytime drama shows? Yeah, that's what we're seeing right now between the mainstream media and the Biden administration. For example, they can't cover this up, so they do the best they can to try and redirect it. Here's from Newsmax.com. The Biden officials, as we're learning more about the COVID-19 pandemic, headline from Newsmax, Biden officials tried to calculate the acceptable number of COVID-19 deaths. Now, I want to ask you that question while we just talked about D-Day and us fighting for a certain purpose and us fighting against communism and fascism and socialism and Nazism, all the same flavor of the same type of ice cream when we try to fight government controlling the people. Because government doesn't care about the people as much as they say they actually do. And when they try to promote these nice little green new deals or you know, getting rid of uh, student loan debts or trying to give you a universal basic income or trying to do universal health care, when they try all of these plans, we know that they're not actually caring about us. Why? Because we can see and follow the money of who's actually benefiting from these programs. So when COVID came and they locked us down, And we couldn't see our family members, our ones in retirement homes or in nursing homes that died there without any physical contact because we might kill them with COVID-19. When we saw major increases in crime or alcoholism or drug abuse or suicide because people couldn't work because they were non-essential. When the private businesses shut down left and right across the nation. When kids were getting sick by wearing the masks across the nation. Were they looking out for us or was there an alternative motive? Because the Biden administration, as things were still trying to be locked down and they forced the vaccines and forced the masks and everything else. uh, They were discussing, apparently, according to some of the recent officials who uh, talked about behind the scenes of what they were doing to deal with this under the Biden administration. They were looking at the daily number of covid-19 deaths and how many of them that the Americans would, quote unquote, tolerate, according to political reports. Three people familiar with the administration's decisions told the news outlet that a target of 200 or fewer Americans was considered before officials decided not to use it in their pandemic planning as they tried to talk about the proper um, PR campaign. On what would be acceptable on doing well with the pandemic and handling it and not doing well. Less than 200 deaths a day would equal to approximately 73,000 deaths per year, which is slightly more than the number lost during a bad flu season. After announcing the end of the pandemic last summer, according to Newsmax, only have the Delta and Omicron variant. Officials have been hesitant to publicize any metrics on what was acceptable and not acceptable. This is what the government's mind was on. On what was acceptable and not acceptable what's okay with number of deaths and not okay with the number of deaths this is why we question the motive of the democrats here's the next one for you hat tip to fox news on this one again this is the leaking out of information they don't want you to know because this makes them look very very bad the media you can't hold on to it any longer they have to report this stuff cdc director talked with several union leaders before tightening on the mask guidance according to their internal calendars as they show how the discussions actually went so let me get this straight as we talked about mask mandates in the workplace which by the way were completely unconstitutional and completely stupid because oh you have to wear a mask or get the vaccine to come to work the hell i do and the hell i am and i'm showing up to work to do my job because that was not my prerequisite to actually work here regardless they didn't consult with the public sector at all on what to do with it they only consulted with union leaders to say hey unions If we implement this, will you stand with it, and how would this impact the workforce? Again, not about the safety, not about the health, not about what's best for you and the American people, but what's best for the union leaders and what's best for the PR for the government. The health wasn't even part of the conversation in these decisions. It wasn't about how many can we save versus is it even our duty to save Americans, or is it just here, let's run a campaign on how to keep people safe. And healthy by recommending a vaccine, recommending other types of alternative medicines, trying to boost your immune system, make you nice and healthy, make you lose a little bit of weight so that way you don't have respiratory issues because it predominantly hit obese people and elderly people, how to stay away from those that do have compromised immune systems. It wasn't a PR about that to educate you on to make your own decisions like the goal of the government is to do, but it was all politics. How many is a daily acceptable tolerating amount of COVID-19 deaths that the American people will be okay with. And oh, by the way, with all the decisions that we make, how will it affect the unions? This is all starting to leak out. Remember, they always say that a lie is never going to go unnoticed, that the lie will eventually come out, the truth will come out in the end no matter what. Well, guess what? It's starting to come out a lot earlier than what they would have liked. The media can't ignore this stuff because this is kind of major. So instead they deflect. What are they deflecting with? We'll talk about that when we come back here right around the corner on a Monday for The Voice of Reason. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: Fighting for freedom
0: every day. The voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back in the last few minutes here of the program. So with the negative press that the Biden administration is getting, which they are not liking with Jean-Pierre, the new uh, press secretary for the White House, trying to cover the tracks, the media really not being able to hold on to anything positive anymore. You can't run on the economy. You can't run immigration. You can't run on foreign issues. You can't run on inflation. You can't run on gas prices. You can't run on really anything at all. So they have to make stuff up. They have to make things up. And uh, they would rather just not talk about the Biden administration at all as opposed to talking about it, because now they can't talk about it in a positive light in any way, shape, or form. So now with news starting to leak out about how the Biden administration has handled the pandemic, working with unions, uh, talking to the bigwigs on how they can make money, how it's going to impact the industry based on the union's needs, not based on the actual company's needs, because the health of the company, we only care about the unions. <laughs> That's what I have to say about the labor unions, but nonetheless, they had to consult with those, and then what was the acceptable amount of deaths that we could see without the media and without the public getting upset at the Biden administration. So with all of this stuff and more coming out to where they don't know how to handle the proper PR, Biden's getting a little agitated. So what are they doing to counter it? Rather than talk about the Biden administration, they're going to talk about something that makes Donald Trump look bad, which is a few different reasons for that. Number one, because that leaves the victimization of joe biden of hey i walked into a bad scenario i had to deal with the leftovers from trump i didn't know how to handle because he left it in such a shamble and you know of course they always go down that road we have barack obama uh four years into his administration still trying to blame george w bush for half of his issues which we know is a load of crap but we also now have a new platform to run against as well Uh, talking as a Democrat here, that they have to try and run with a new platform. As according to Axios, that now the January 6th committee investigation thought that was all done and over. No, 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 no. That's just getting started. The January 6th committee has a secret advisor now, and they're going to be turning it into a primetime public hearing where you ever see like 60 Minutes? or they do the journalistic TV thing and they interview somebody and they're going to show the case and try and make the claim for it. They're going to turn a Janu- a House January 6th committee into a primetime hearing with multimedia presentations, and they're using James Goldston, the former president of ABC News, and a mastery of documentary storytelling, according to Axios.com, who ran Good Morning America and Nightline. He's joined the committee... Of the January 6th committee in the House of Representatives to create a multimedia presentation for the primetime hearing. They want to broadcast this bad boy. They want to make it into a big extravaganza. They want to not talk about the gun bills that they're trying to ram through where even moderate Republicans are like, I hope half the Republicans in the Senate vote for this. They want to ignore the COVID-19 response from the Biden administration. They want you to forget that you can't afford to buy groceries or gas any longer. They want you to forget about the looming World War III that's going on between Russia and the Ukraine. They want you to forget about all of these disasters from the Biden administration. And they want you to watch a primetime hearing where all the media outlets are going to be broadcasting this. And they're going to turn it into a 60 Minutes series from a House committee chamber on the January 6th investigation regarding how bad Donald Trump is. That's insanity. Now, here's why they're doing this. Number one, as we just mentioned, because it's the a distraction. The, the media can't talk about Biden in a positive light. So let's go back to our favorite thing, which is trash Trump. That's also a hope, by the way, that they want to make sure that Donald Trump has no chance of running for president again in 2024 when, oh, by the way, the polls show that Donald Trump is up major against Joe Biden in the polls if the presidential election were held between the two right now. They want to make sure that is done, that is dead, and that we'll never see it because we can change the public's opinion. Here's the third part, and this is a little bit more malicious as we focus on D-Day and the 77th memorial and remembrance of D-Day today with our storming of Normandy Beach and what that was actually for and the number of individuals that actually died. To have a January 6th committee, a House of Representatives committee in government, do a multimedia presentation with one goal in mind, which is to demonize Trump and all the MAGA supporters across the nation, To hold a public multimedia primetime presentation on TV, this is the testing of the next step of the government-run media. The media in the private sector right now is not doing their due diligence to make a horrible presidential administration look good, so therefore we need to take it to the next level. If people watch this, guess what? You will now have a new branch of an NPR-style government-run media that will be from the committees and the hearings with more multimedia presentations to brainwash you on the agenda they want if this turns out well. And it will be done by media executives that know how to make you really fall into what they want you to believe ponder that one for a little bit that is the voice reason i'm andy hoosier we'll see you on the radio tomorrow